welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat, and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 70, and today's episode, Why Are Children So Unhappy?, I will share my thoughts on why we have a whole generation of children and teens desperately unhappy. A recent survey by the Children's Society ranked UK children amongst the unhappiest in Europe. And yet unhappiness as a trend is not just a UK phenomenon. So why do I think children are so unhappy? Well, I think it probably boils down to three reasons. So let's start with those before I give you some tangible things in terms of what we can do to help. And obviously, when we start talking about what we can do to help, those are also aspects of the problem. But I think if we're looking very broadly and high level, I think there are probably three things. The first thing is we have got a whole lot busier. Now, this isn't just our children but us just generally. We are juggling, we are racing, we are doing lots. So I think that that busyness, that constantly doing, and as a result, that very little non-doing, I think is probably one of the biggest contributors. I think the other one is comparison. Now, social media is one way we do this, but there is also a lot of comparison along that proliferation of reality television where our children are constantly accessing and constantly being bombarded by visual imagery that says to them how they should look, how they should dress, what they should be doing, their character, their personality, how they should behave and respond in a particular situation, the language that they will use. So I think comparison is rife. Television's always been around, well, clearly been around certainly for the generation that are going to be listening to this podcast so it's not that the television is new but the bombardment and the availability of media that allows our children to constantly compare where they are to what they are bombarded with in terms of information I think is also a huge aspect as well that comparison and the third one is I think a fear of failure which I think is also connected to a lack of understanding that true success in the form most ordinary people live rather than reality television people live doesn't come easily it comes through hard work through setbacks and failure and I do think that quite often when you speak to children and teenagers because of what they consume on media whatever that media is whether it's through digital devices whether that's on television whatever that might be is I think they have an assumption created that life should be easy and that success comes without really doing a huge amount because that's what they're seeing they're seeing the reality tv they're seeing the bloggers the vloggers the youtubers who are making lots of money, living in huge houses, buying expensive things. And the assumption, therefore, is that things should should be easy. And why do I have to work hard academically, at my studies, at persevering with a particular task? And so I think that that also has feeds into it. So that, to me, I think are probably the biggest reasons why our children are unhappy, if we're looking at it broadly, is everybody is too busy. We don't take enough time to pause. Everybody compares and we're constantly unhappy with our life relative to others. And we fear failure and don't associate this need to work hard, this need to experience failure as just part of a journey of how we get somewhere. So you may agree, you may disagree. I welcome your thoughts. But those to me are the three broad reasons. So what do we do 
as parents? How can we help? So I've come up with six things. It's not an exhaustive list. I could probably quite easily have had 10, 15, 20. But I think these are the six things that I feel are probably the have the biggest impact, also feed into why our children are so unhappy. But I also think they're things that we can very easily and readily start implementing and doing. So let's start with the first one, time. It goes back to this notion about we've got too busy, but I think we need to be more conscious of time, not just our time and the time that we spend as parents with our children, but also time that our children have to play, time that our children have to be device and tech free, and that includes television. So I would ask yourself, you know, quite often I talk about this idea of doing a bit of an audit. It doesn't have to be a very technical thing. It's a piece of paper and just some honest reflection. When you look at the situation with your children, and what I would say is if you've got more than one child, do a separate piece of paper for each child, because obviously they'll have different activities. They'll do different things. They've got different routines. They've got different personalities. And really be honest when you reflect on those sheets of paper for each of your children how much time does that child get? And I'm not talking about minutes that you give them specifically with your time, but just look at what their week looks like. How much time do they get with you when you are 100% present for what they're doing? You don't have your phone. You don't have your head in your to-do list. You're not trying to juggle food. Now, please don't take this as a criticism in any shape or form. It's simply an ability to be honest. Five minutes of absolute present time is worth 100 times our time when we're distracted. So this isn't about making you feel guilty that you need to spend more actual present time with your children, but just being aware that we need to also reduce our busyness. So that's the first thing I would ask you to do when you're looking at that time audit for each of your children is actually start asking yourself, how much time do they get when I am fully present and what does that look like? It may well be that that isn't, just isn't possible Monday to Friday because of the way that the busyness is for your week, for their week. But there is lots of present time at the weekend, then in which case, fabulous. But just have that kind of honesty. So you do that first, but also I want you to look and reflect at how much time does your child, each child, get to play. So this is probably the kind of time that they're going to complain that they're monumentally bored that they haven't got something that is deliberately distracting them, that they have to use their imagination or they have to be creative in what they do. So it's time looking at that audit of what the time that we spend, time that they actually get to play, and then time that they are completely and utterly free of devices, free of their phones, iPads, laptops, even though they're saying they're doing their work on their laptops, when are they coming off them and not having television? How much device-free time are they getting? And if you look at that in the cold light of day and you look at all of those for each of your children and you think, that's not the level that I want it to be. Okay, we're not going to beat ourselves up. That's where we currently are. That's where we, that's where we are right now. And instead, let's start asking ourselves, how can we shift it slightly? And it may be that the reality is your weeks are so busy that you cannot have any more present time with them. That's fine. And it may be that with their commitments, they don't have very much time, extra time in terms of playtime. But you can maybe factor some device free time and maybe you can incrementally add things 
so you can say well this is what we look this is what it looks like currently can i add five minutes of either play or device time or my time to each child for this coming week so it's really looking at making incremental small changes rather than trying to look at it and think oh my goodness me i'm not spending enough time with my children or they don't get time to play or they don't have they don't have device free time so that's it now we're going from one extreme to the other but i do think when our children do not have time they do not have opportunities to reflect and to be and that then does not help them in terms of sort of decompressing which can absolutely impact their happiness so that's the first thing that i would say the second one is sleep data shows that children generally lose on average one night's sleep a week due to time on their devices worrying or simply going to bed late now i will say to you and i say this really honestly when i go into a school and i go into large schools small schools every size school and i ask children and teens within those year groups that I work with, to raise their hands if they struggle to fall asleep at night, the number always staggers me. I'd probably say 70% each and every time in each and every school will put their hand up and say that they're struggling to go to sleep at night. Now, this doesn't mean that we've got 70% of children are anxious, but it certainly means that they've lost the skill, they've lost the art of being able to get enough sleep and the right quality sleep. And part of that obviously is going to be related to the amount of downtime that they have. Part of it will definitely be if you've got a child that's worrying and a child that's using a lot of device time. If they don't have time during the day to decompress, to be alone with their thoughts, then when they go to sleep, that's the first time that they've got all of that chatter going on. And so it's bound to impact their ability to sleep. Whereas if we can factor in time during the day when they can just be with their thoughts then when they they can kind of work through that and realize that those thoughts come and go so when they go to sleep they're not then riddled with all of these thoughts and actually if they have time and they're not on their devices and they've got time to play younger children typically work through their problems through play older children will then have more of an opportunity to connect with friends connect with us and have those conversations that will then make sleep a little bit easier so i think that that's something really important in fact of all of the things I would say, if you're listening to this and you've got a child who is really struggling with their sleep, I would say that that's probably the first place that you need to start looking. And as I always say, I'm going to give you lots of advice. I'm going to give you lots of suggestions about things that you can do. Don't try and do all of them. It's impossible. But look at it in relation to your family and each child within your family and make a decision With this child, I can see that this is going to be the priority for them. I'm going to address that for them. And this child, their priority is different because actually they're okay with that. They're getting that done and that's not an issue. But this is probably something that I think we need to work on. So really try and only take away one thing and remember that each child is different and will need something else. So, so far we've talked about time and we've talked about sleep. The third thing that we can do to help our children with their level of unhappiness is look at the quality of the food that they eat. Now, this is not about necessarily what you're cooking at home, although obviously that has a factor, but it's what are our children consuming when they're not home. Now, this is probably more of an issue for older children who will have some access to pocket money and who then also have some access to either a talk shop or a shop on the way to school, 
but it's really trying to fine tune the nourishment that our children get. Now, everybody, all children are going to want chocolates and sweets um, and they're less than healthy things. And I'm definitely not a believer in an all or nothing approach when it comes to food. It's all about everything in moderation. But it's being aware that that does have an impact on our children. And I'm no nutritionist. I'm no expert when it comes to food other than what I do know is that the data is pretty conclusive in that the food that we eat affects our mood it affects our levels of happiness and so if we can try and make sure that our children get more of the good stuff most of the time then that will definitely also impact their well-being and their happiness and that will increase their happiness levels so it's trying to ask yourself the question Do I allow my children to make good choices at home because are my cupboards filled with enough of the good stuff that when they have a bit of a hunger pang or they have a bit of a craving for something, that most of the things in the cupboard that they can reach for are predominantly healthy with also a mixture of the less healthy? If that isn't the case, can you look to make some little substitutions that kind of begin to sort of move it in the right direction? If you've got the most healthiest, wonderful cupboards, then it may well be that you don't need to do anything about this, or it may well be that your child is getting all of the great stuff at home, but probably not necessarily getting some great stuff on the way to school, or at their lunch, or even in tuck, and you might make a decision that actually that's okay, because they're getting good stuff at home. But I would would not underestimate the impact of good food on our mood we see it in ourselves and also for our children and one of the ways to help get our children on side is is not to lecture them it's not to kind of reel out all of the bad things about some of the things that they're consuming but much more to get them involved in the preparation of food and helping them explore flavors because they may maybe they don't like a particular type of meal but if they were able to mix it up a bit and experiment and use different flavors that that might make something that is healthy more palatable for them and they may enjoy it more because they've just done that and I think the only way we can get them involved in flavors and tastes is if we get them involved in the preparation and even not just even in the the preparation but the planning the shopping the sort of buying these things so that they can then begin to kind of get actively involved and there are lots of ways we can do that beyond cooking we can also talk to them when we're in the planning process and talk to them about what are the things that we're going to start trying what are the things that we're going to now not we're going to buy less of and these sorts of things but food has such an impact on mood and obviously when we're we've got teenagers or those that are going through big changes they are naturally going to want to crave some of the sweet things if they're working towards GCSEs or A-levels or big exams. As we all know, we tend to kind of reach into cupboards. So if we're just aware of overall what our children are eating, that can have a huge impact on improving mood as well. So we've talked about time. We've talked about sleep. We've talked about the impact of food. My fourth one is around exercise and getting outside. We have a lot of sedentary children. We have a lot of children that are spending time behind tech and devices, behind television screens, behind games consoles. And as a result, they're not getting out enough. And we know that being outside has a huge impact on well-being 
and elevates and raises mood and helps us feel happier. We get some huge resistance. I don't disagree at all that we'll get a lot of resistance. I often remember taking my children to go on walks and oh, the sort of the not kicking and screaming, but there would be all sorts of huffing and puffing and this is so boring and why do we have to do it? And dragging feet and oh, I don't want to do this. But actually, once they got going and they got started, it generally was brilliant and everybody felt incredible afterwards. So the exercise and the getting outside is something that we need to take more control of because we want to encourage our children to do that. So we have to make it slightly a bit of a whole family affair and get everybody on board. And you'll know what will kind of entice them. And you know, with my children, there was always a promise of a bit of a cake and a drink when we got to the end, whether that was a hot chocolate and a chocolate brownie or whatever it was. But there was always this, there's a purpose behind this. And I would much rather do that. That's what I did. You may disagree. You may want to do something different. But I do think it's imperative that our children exercise and get outside each and every day. Now, some of you will be saying, oh, Maryhan, do you live in the real world? I, I can't possibly do this with my child. And what I would say is, I've been there. I know how difficult it is. And it's not about doing it every day if you can't. I think we should aim to do it every day. So it's, But it's about also being creative. Can we walk our children to school some of the way if we can't walk all of the way? Can we park up the car somewhere and just walk that little bit? That's outside. That's getting exercise. Do we have a trampoline? Trampolining in all sorts of weather seems to work. Children don't seem to be bothered by rain or leaves on a, on a trampoline or snow or anything like that. Can we do it that way? Can we create obstacle courses outside in our garden and actually just make sure that our children are dressed appropriately for the weather because then that also helps? It's just thinking and being creative. And if it is impossible during the week or some days during the week, it's making sure that we then make sure at the weekends that we get them outside but exercise and getting outside that fresh air the endorphins and that feel good has a huge impact on children's mood and also makes them feel happy because there's a freedom to that exploration so I do think we need to look at that and I think obviously some of you'll be listening and you'll have children who are very active in school and doing lots of exercise and getting outside so that may not be one of the areas that you'll work on immediately but if you are resonating with the idea that you have a child who really does just sort of sit in the car on the way to school has school then comes back and pretty much sits and doesn't do any of that then I do think that's something that you need to be looking at how can we begin to incorporate exercise getting outside so that we can begin to have that as a practice that is every day even if it's for a short period of time so we've talked about time we've talked about sleep we've talked about the food that nourishes our children's bodies we've talked about exercise and getting outside number five it's about boundaries which are consistently applied now this is such a huge one here when we're talking about children being unhappy and their happiness levels because children operate and are at their most comfortable when they know what's expected of them now that doesn't mean us being dictatorial or setting out a big set of rules that isn't what I'm talking about but it's about us being consistent in the things that we view as important 
and the boundaries that we set around them. So this is in part, of course, rules and values and morals that we might have with our, within our own home. But I also think it's boundaries around language that they use. It's boundaries around values that are important, whether that's honesty, whether that's integrity, whether that's value and respect of other people. Being consistent in applying those boundaries helps our children understand and to know what's expected of them. And that also applies to things such as bedtime and not being afraid. I think one of the things that I hear quite a lot is situations where we've had a situation with a child that has probably escalated beyond what we want. Maybe bedtime, maybe devices have ended up being in bedrooms. Maybe our children are gaming more than we want them to do. Maybe they're eating lots of foods that we're unhappy with them eating. And I do think that there seems to be, fear is probably too strong a word, but a worry as parents about how we handle and how we backtrack from that because they're We don't want these head-on battles or maybe we're happy to have those head-on battles but the battles are so head-on that we don't feel that we're making any changes. And that's where being really consistent with boundaries but explaining why the boundaries are there. You know, we've talked about this analogy before that our children are a building under construction. We help with that foundation but ultimately when that build goes up It is our role as our children's parents to make sure that that building meets building regulations so it's habitable. If we have not been consistent in applying boundaries and explaining to our children why those boundaries exist, acknowledging that some of those boundaries may feel unfair for our children and that they may be unhappy with them, but the reasons we've made the decisions is because of their well-being or Um, factors that will help them becoming a really successful and happy adult then the danger is that we don't actually we don't help them become this adult that is happy in their lives and living that sort of you know living that happy life so it's really important that we understand why boundaries are so important that we apply them consistently that we have conversations with our children about why we're putting boundaries in place which they may disagree with but also not being afraid to have those conversations where we think actually we've probably let that the boundaries blur with a particular area or we've let them push them a bit too far and now we want to reel them back in never be afraid to have those conversations and as i've said before Try and avoid this dynamic of the power dynamic of I'm the adult and the power giver and that of authority and you're this sort of submissive, inferior individual, which I know we're not saying that, but it's this whole, well, I'm your parent and I get to choose and while you live under this house, you'll abide by my rules. And instead have a conversation that looks like it's adult to adult. That is much more, I understand that for you it feels unfair that your phone is not in your bedroom because you can't contact your friends and you feel everybody else is being able, is on their phones and getting in touch and you feel that you're missing out. But in this house, one of the really important rules that we want to stick to for all of us, not just you, is that we all get a good night's sleep. And as you'll see, nobody in the family has their phone in their bedrooms, not even us as your parents, for example. It's really being able to have those conversations much more in a, I get why you're annoyed. I get why you don't want us, why you think it's unfair for us to implement this particular boundary. But we're doing it because of this. So I think boundary application is really, really key. 
So we've talked about time, we've talked about sleep, we've talked about food, we've talked about exercise and we've talked about boundaries. My last kind of tip is about encouraging our children to problem solve. And by doing that, that in turn builds resilience and the ability to see failure as an inevitable part of life. Goes back to one of the reasons why I think our children are unhappy in the first place, which is this notion of a fear of failure. Now, I shared in my newsletter recently how profoundly impacted I was in my early 20s when I read the book The Road Less Travelled by M. Scott Peck. The opening lines, I feel, are very relevant to the problems we have at the moment with unhappy children. And those opening lines are, life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. And to me, I think this is quite a key aspect. And I want to just talk to you a little bit because I think it's one of the reasons why our children are unhappy. And I also think it's one of our biggest opportunities with our children. And the notion is, is Scott Peck's not saying that we should lecture our children. In fact, he doesn't even talk about children. The book isn't about that. It's me making the connection. And I'm not encouraging you to have a conversation with the children that goes along the lines of, oh, well, life is just difficult. You just got to get on with it. It's all hard and things don't go to plan and you you know you're going to be filled with disappointment what I am saying instead is instead of us and of course we do it with love we do it because we don't want to see our children in pain but instead of wrapping our children with cotton wool rather than avoiding them experiencing difficult situations us swooping in to fix things instead of we encourage our children to problem solve for themselves and acknowledge that things are meant to be difficult. Things are not necessarily easy. Sometimes aspects of our life will feel supremely easy and sometimes they won't, but that's normal. So when our child is struggling with their maths, let's not say, don't worry, it'll get easy. You'll be able, you'll get there, it'll be fine. Instead, acknowledge, yeah, maths can be really tricky sometimes and it might be feeling particularly tricky now. We know that with a little bit more practice, it does get easier but let's not try and pave or create this notion or this idea in our children's mind that things are meant to be smooth. And I think this is part of the what we tend to see with media is that obviously they we only ever experience other people's lives from the outside. Famous people, celebrities, it's we tend to view things from the outside and we assume that that persona and that front that they present makes everything means that everything's easy but we know as adults that isn't the case so it's helping our children also understand that that child that's in their classroom that it always seems to be top of everything that's doing brilliantly at maths and seems to be effortless in friends and is just fantastic athlete hasn't got there because they've sat around doing nothing they've got there because they've probably kicked a ball around at home quite a lot or they've practiced or they've got a real passion and an interest in some of their academics and so they enjoy that or they explore things more or they read things more. It's trying to help debunk that myth that our children believe that on the outside everyone else is finding things easy, but it's also helping them to problem solve. So rather than us fixing things for them, encouraging them to think, okay, well, that didn't really go to plan. And I'm sure, and, and I can see that you're feeling absolutely devastated by it. It feels like the end of the world, but maybe let's regroup and have a think about what we might do differently next time, because setbacks are a normal part of learning. 
So let's have a look at what do you think you could do, you could try differently next time. And of course, that's not going to be easy. It's not going to come easily to you or to your child. It's not going to be this beautiful role-playing scenario where they say, well, that's interesting that you've asked me to problem solve. I think I could try this, this or this. That isn't the way it is going to be. And particularly if you've been very much problem solving for your children and jumping in, and we all do that, we all have moments of doing that. So our children then become reliant on us. So it will take time, but it is the greatest gift that we can give our children, resilience and the ability to see that things are inherently meant to be more difficult is such a gift and helps our children so much with their happiness because rather than thinking my life is not good because I'm expecting it to be easy it isn't easy therefore I am unhappy instead it's a case of I know things are not meant to be easy and I know that at the moment things aren't particularly easy but they will get better because I know that it with time and with a bit more practice things will get easier so I think that's such an important area that we can address as parents that help our children with their happiness So let's just do a quick recap of the six. So we've talked about time, not just our time, but also the time our children have to play and be device free. We've talked about sleep, making sure that our children get enough sleep, making sure that our children eat as best as possible in terms of good food, because we know that affects mood and happiness. Fourth one was about exercise and getting outside, making sure that that happens every day if we possibly can and being super creative and trying to find ways to do that. The fifth is about boundaries and making sure that those are consistently applied. And the sixth one is about our encouraging our children to problem solve, which in turn builds resilience. So my give this week is going to be these top six strategies in a checklist with space underneath so you can use it as a reminder but you can also use it as a practical tool you can make notes underneath you can think about it so as usual head over to my free resource library drmaryhand.com forward slash library where you'll find the link to download the resource all you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access not only to this week's resource but all the other free resources across all my other podcast episodes As ever, if you have enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could follow and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time.